I challenge you to a duel. Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of the Movie Jewel podcast with Peter and Liam. Hello, welcome. Well, first of all, I'd like to, to welcome you all to the inaugural Movie Jewel podcast. See, uh, we dropped uh, a little introduction episode um, before this just to let you know about what we're what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve, and and how the the sort of flow of the the podcast is going to be, um, and let you know what our our first subject is. But basically, we are picking a subject, each picking a film that we think best fits that subject, and then discussing each movie, our choices, why we chose them, and trying to figure out which one's maybe the better choice. So, Liam, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, a little bit nervous, first podcast, but um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about the movies that we've chosen. I think we've got some good, some good ones. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Definitely, I think you know we've 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 tried to prep as much as we can prep. We can prep no yep. more. We've got through the the marshy wasteland that is Microsoft Teams to finally sort of stumble through this. Like uh, John Hammond says in Jurassic Park, when they opened Disneyland in 1956, nothing worked. Pirates of the Caribbean didn't eat the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Let's get a bit of Spielberg in nice and early. Yes. Very good, very good. So, watched any good movies this week? I actually went to go see Nope the other weekend. That was the only new movie I saw, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't want to say too much because I'm pretty sure we're going to discuss it at some point. So, yeah, but I really enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I went to I went probably a couple, I think a couple of days after you, didn't I? And, uh, yeah, just... Jordan Peele, he's he's so fresh at the moment. He's, yeah, you know, even though it's there's always that little fresh twist to his films. Yeah, they're they're always interesting. Like he's doing something different. Because I really think I I someone had put something on one of the discussion groups I'm on about Jordan Peele and that they'd been seen Nope, and I really think that he could be could end up with a very sort of Quentin Tarantino esque yeah filmography. I think once he gets going i think he's got that spark to do things that a little bit different and yeah and he's definitely got a style like you can tell it's one of his movies um so i get that quentin tarantino angle definitely like he's putting his own spin on different genres different you know different themes Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and it's very jordan peele so i'm really looking forward to whatever he does next i've enjoyed all of his movies some more than others but still they've all been pretty fantastic I also I also caught a film on Amazon Prime. It's uh, it's apparently I don't know if they've done more of these. I did read a little bit about it. It's it was a film called Nocturne. Um, okay. Uh, it was a it's a Amazon Amazon TV Bloomhouse collaboration or something like that. Right, okay. Um, and apparently they're they're trying to strike up this relationship. I'm not sure if there's anything else. Um, in the back catalogue or or on its way, um, but it was it was it was decent. It wasn't fantastic. It was very it was it was sort of Saint Maud, but not as good. Right. Okay. All the perfection. It was very 
it was it was decent it was just trying to be cleverer than it was really but it's worth a look if you've got an hour and a half okay i'll uh i'll look into it have you um seen anything about that um new shudder uh movie called glorious no basically jk simmons is voicing a glory hole <laughs> or some sort of like ethereal monster that lives in a glory hole so yeah but wow um, okay that's all i know i mean i I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain that's what I read somewhere. So, sounds interesting. I keep I keep seeing. I'm going to have a look for. Um, it's, it's called. I think it's called what Josiah saw. That looks quite interesting. Robert Patrick. Ah, not right, sure. I've not okay. heard too much about yeah. it. I've just seen sort of you know uh, adverts on Facebook yeah. or, or whatever sort of short clips and that. But that looks quite interesting. Mm. So I may uh, okay. add that to my ever expanding watch list. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much stuff to watch and just not enough time to watch it. I mean, we are sort of in a a lucky time right now, having so much so much stuff to consume. But I mean, some of it's good, some of it's not. But you know, you just got to wade yourself through the through the filth to find the good stuff. But it's out there. Oh, exactly, exactly. Well, that's it. You know, it's like like these subjects and these films that we pick. You know, there's some of them I think are going to be very, you know. The choices are going to be quite minimal for some, but the choices for like what we're discussing this week are, can be quite vast and a yeah. lot to choose from, you know. And I think something we didn't perhaps point out in the intro episode was that we're really sort of, you know, we wanted to point out that these the very subjective opinions mm. that we've got and not necessarily objective, you know, the the movies that might some of them might be movies that mean something to us or you know or a style that we like or yeah definitely or whatever yeah. but um yeah i think uh there's such a, a rich choice of anything really so as 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 you know we stated at the start and in the intro episode uh each week we pick a, a subject with this first episode it was it was my choice my choice was for us to pick what we consider to be the most underrated sequel ever so the, the rules just to remind you uh, for this word that it must be a sequel within the main canon of a series, i.e. not a remake or spin-off, unless it's a sequel to a remake or of the remake or spin-off. So it can include reset canons, i.e. Halloween, H2O, things like that, or Hall- Halloween. Um, 2018, I suppose it's called. Um, it can't be part of a continuing story, i.e. Lord of the Rings, it, if it's something part one, part two, that kind of thing. And uh, it should be considered either a commercial failure, critical failure, or just generally inferior to its predecessor or predecessors. So, as I picked the subject, it meant that you got first dibs, first pick on the film. So without further ado, Liam, what is the first movie we will be discussing on the Movie Jewel podcast, and what do you consider to be the most underrated sequel ever? Okay, uh, no pressure. Well, my pick for most underrated sequel is the Joe Dante classic Gremlins 2, The New Batch, from 1990. They're mutating. Sir, is the building on fire? No, no, that's a false alarm. Are you trying to panic New York City? Absolutely not. So the monsters are real? I didn't say that. Gremlins 2. The new batch. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. Fun, but in no sense civilized. 
So, uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch, uh, was directed by Joe Dante, written by Charles Haas, and based on characters created by Chris Columbus. The film stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Howie Mandel as the voice of Gizmo, and we also have Dick Miller returning. Um, Obviously, uh, rest in peace, Dick Miller. Quick synopsis for you. Uh, The Gremlins are back, and this time they've taken control of a New York City media mogul's high-tech skyscraper. Looney Tunes-esque violence will ensue. Good choice. I remember having. Well, I don't even think I had it on VHS. I think it was. It was a record. It was recorded off the movie channel on Sky, as it was known back in the day. But yeah, fond fond memories of Gremlins Two. I think I actually saw Gremlins Two before the original. I was just going to say I had this on video that I had also recorded off TV, and I'd watched this before I'd seen the first one. So I think that's one of the reasons why I've sort of got a bit of a fondness for it. So why why do you feel it's underrated? Well, the reason I feel like it's underrated is because it not only does what you expect a sequel to do, which is raise the stakes, have more of the same, but it, it also, the movie itself is a comment on sequels and it sort of makes fun of the first movie. So, And that's something you don't really see in a sequel. Uh, and I think that's what Joe Dante does brilliantly here. He just makes fun of the previous film. I must admit, when I rewatched it, obviously once you told me what uh, you were picking, it is a lot more meta than I remember. Don't quite sort of pick up when you're perhaps a bit younger. You don't pick up on those those sort of the references necessarily. So, what do you love about the film? When I was a kid, the reason I liked this one more was basically because the Gremlins looked a lot cooler, and like I really liked Mohawk and. It was more comedic than the first one. The first one was a straight horror, but this was a bit more silly. Did they? I can't. I couldn't find, or maybe I just didn't dig deep enough. But I couldn't find that. Obviously, you got Mohawk or Stripe or whatever, but I couldn't necessarily find names for the rest of them. So I just sort of wrote them down as like, you've got Crazy, you've got Goofy, you've got Jay Z, and Jay Z, Lloyd Grossman. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there is one of them looks like Jay Z. I don't know whether that's appropriate oh, but, that, uh, I, I think that <laughs> well the crazy one's Daffy he's the one with the like googly eyes and then yeah. you've got Lenny which is like the book tooth mm-hmm. dopey one and then I think the Jay-Z one you're talking about I think that's I think that's George um, <laughs> so yeah and then Lloyd Grossman who's the one that can talk might I have a brief word with you yeah <laughs> that may be over some people's heads but yeah, I guess if you don't know who Lloyd Grossman is, but yeah, that's that's the brain gremlin, um, voiced by uh, I think it was Tony Randall. But yeah, I'm I'm very much excited to talk about the design of the gremlins and uh, all that sort of stuff because there's there's a hell of a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, there's it's definitely you can see that difference from one to two. You know, they all have their own individual personalities and different designs and stuff, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and I think um, Chris Wayless was the guy who originally did the Gremlins for the first one, and I think Joe Dante did approach him to do the second one, but he was busy directing uh, The Fly 2, so he he made the right choice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Wasn't Phoebe Katz in that as well? Do you know what? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm going to have to Google that. It plays his girlfriend in it. It's Eric, Eric Stoltz, isn't it? Eric Stoltz, yeah. Uh, 
Oh, you're going to make me come off my fucking IMDB that I've got prepared. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so they went to Rick Baker instead, and he originally turned them down because he didn't want to just rehash somebody else's design or, you know, just do something that somebody else had done. Uh, so they actually said, well, you have free reign. He was more interested about making the Gremlins into characters uh, and putting a unique spin on them, and he definitely did that with Gremlins too. There's some absolutely fantastic creature work in this film, I think. Why was this movie considered a failure? It didn't actually get terrible reviews. Um, got a lot better reviews than I thought when I was looking into it. Pretty middle of the road. Like A lot of movie reviewers didn't hate it, but they didn't love it either. And, and obviously, like some of the big movie reviewers, especially in America, like Siskel and Ebert. I know Roger Ebert a bit more, but um, I think Roger Ebert said there was too many gremlins and not enough storyline. Which is the one? Is he the one that's in it? No, uh, the one that's in it is oh bloody hell! I forgot his name now. Leonard Moulton. Leonard Moulton, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Leonard Moulton is the one that's that's mm-hmm. in it, um, and that's kind of interesting actually because he originally gave the first film a really bad review. He didn't like it. He hated it, and that's kind of Joe Dante doing his meta thing. He's having him in it talking about how terrible the first movie is and then the gremlins come in and sort of rip him apart and he's like no it's a 10 it's a 10 and it's just stuff like that that i think makes the movie really fun and interesting it's just doing these crazy things but yeah it, it didn't get terrible reviews but it also there were some that weren't big fans a lot of them had a problem with like the lack of plot Mm -hmm. which i will be honest yeah i get that and a lot of them were saying that the plot takes a backseat as soon as the gremlins arrive and yeah i will agree with that but it's a gremlins movie and the whole idea about gremlins is that they're chaos and they cause problems in everything and that includes the movie and i mean you even see that halfway through the movie the film they're actually messing with the projection that the film begins to burn and snap and then it cuts to a whole different scene with hulk hogan (laughs) The Gremlins putting on a nudie film. It's only quite recent, actually, that I've realised or seen that there's... Or when I recorded it off TV or whatever, it was actually John Wayne. Yes, yeah, yeah, That's the one I always remember. And actually, I actually, after watching it the other day, it's the the version I watched that got the Hulk Hogan bit in. So I went onto YouTube and looked for the the John Wayne bit to sort of... Because I think the last... I think definitely the, the DVD that I had for it had the Hulk Hogan bit. And then I started yeah. to doubt myself. I think I'm sure that when I used to watch it, I had John Wayne. So I found it. And actually, I do actually prefer that. I think that works a lot better. The John Wayne one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's weird, actually, because I had the inverse. I had only ever seen the Hulk Hogan one. And I don't think it was till like maybe 10, 12 years ago when I got Gremlins on DVD. And I saw that there was an alternate one for the VHS. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. And it was really cool, actually. I think I do prefer the Hulk Hogan one, not because of Hulk Hogan, but I think there's like a little in-joke that Joe Dante says in the commentary. There's a little girl and her mother, and they run out of the cinema, and uh, she's complaining that the movie's terrible and all this sort of stuff. And the little girl's just saying, I want to see the Gremlins. And that's (laughs) actually a true story that happened when Joe Dante did a screening of the first film that, when the gremlin was put in the microwave and exploded, this mother was horrified and disgusted and wanted to leave, but her daughter ran away from her, went back into the screening and hid so she could watch the rest of the film because she wanted to see the gremlins. 
Um, so that's like a little nod from Joe Dante there. And I think that's, that's maybe cool. one of the reasons why I like that version. And also the projectionist who comes down, he's got like a black eye and everything like that. He's he's the guy from the gas station in the first movie that Billy's dad sells him the smokeless ashtray. And I was just like, oh yeah. And that's Joe Dante all over. He'll he'll have people from all of his movies. You know, he has the same same cast a lot of the time. You would think really that maybe the um, the mother and daughter would be running out of the cinema screen because there's a six foot six man sat in his pants uh, eating popcorn, <laughs> sweating profusely. <laughs> come on, brother, <laughs> brother. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the Hulkster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too right now. Sorry, folks. It won't happen again. So yeah, it's it's kind of weird, but I, but I do enjoy that uh, little John Wayne sequence. But like a movie that does that, like I don't really think about it because I only ever saw this movie either on TV, VHS, or DVD. Like I never, and I was never actually there to see it in the cinema. And then when you think when you go into this movie blind, not knowing anything, and you sit there, and then all of a sudden the film the film burns up, it goes to white, and you're like, what? Mm. And then gremlins start invading <laughs> the screen, doing shadow puppets yeah. and stuff like that, and you're like, oh my god, like is that even breaking the fourth wall anymore? It's like this is crazy, and that's the whole thing about Gremlins too, is that it's just chaos, it's mm. anarchy. Yeah, you know, it's it's got that Looney Tunes sort of vibe to it. It's it's just crazy, and and that's why I think it's so good. Well, I think as well, the you know, if the Hollywood sort of thing, especially nineteen ninety, mm. um, you know, as you know, my my choices from nineteen ninety, and you had yeah. quite a lot around that sort of time, um you know, a very sort of a sequel frenzy almost. And I think you can tell where a studio maybe wouldn't think of a property or a film series in quite, you know, Mm. they wouldn't consider it um, box office um, if they're not putting out another sequel and there's never been another sequel to Gremlins. That actually brings me on to a good quote because uh, I just want to read this quote that I'd got from uh, Joe Dante and it's, um, when I was asked to do the sequel, which I originally turned down because it was so hard to make the first one, the only reason I decided to make the sequel was because years later they had tried to make a sequel and couldn't figure out how to do it. And they really wanted another one. So they said to me, if you give us a couple of cans of film with gremlins in them, next summer you can do whatever you want. And they gave me three times the money we had to make the first one. So I made Gremlins 2, which was essentially about how there didn't need to be a sequel to Gremlins. (laughs) (laughs) And he said that he said that in the uh, commentary as well, that like he wanted to make it incredibly hard for them to make a Gremlins 3 after this movie. So, you know, I. I salute somebody who wants to shit all over the first movie that they made and just have like a fun time. Uh, and that's, that's why I think it's great. And that's why I love Joe Dante because he puts so much of himself in this film, his sense of humor, that whole Looney Tunes type, silly cartoonish um, tone that this movie has. And um, it's definitely his most Joe Dante film. Cool. And also I just like to say, I'm not going to give away uh, your pick but it's kind of nice that both of our movies have two in the title like you don't see that anymore mm. so that's kind Definitely. of nice I think it's almost become a bit of a, a, a I don't know a badge of shame I suppose it? Yeah. That if it was two you know sequels are often considered 
inferior, um, which yeah. I think is, is is fine. You know, it's not it's not very often you get a film a sequel that is is better. I think there's a, there's a lot of argument um, in that. I think it's there's a lot of discussion there as well. But I don't think I don't think you can always consider something to be massively inferior. No, and I think one of the problems with sequels is, especially in the 80s and 90s, it was sort of, to do a sequel, you're basically rehashing the same movie, the first film. It's either going to be in a different scenario um, or, you know, it's going to be, instead of Die Hard in a building, we're going to do Die Hard on a plane. Mm. Or Under Siege, instead of a boat, it's now going to be on a train. But we're going to do exactly the same thing, sort of. So they're kind of... You can see why they are considered inferior, but I think again that's why I think Gremlins Two is interesting because it's it's doing something so different, and I sort of applaud that. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily how you would go about doing a sequel is by making fun of the first movie, but I just think that fits the tone of Gremlins. It almost moves the story, doesn't it? Because the first film is is almost Billy and Gizmo's story. And I was actually quite surprised again on rewatch yeah. how little Gizmo's in this film. Yeah, because he's he's off training and all that sort of stuff, so he's not. Yeah, you know, once they they sort of lose him, he's not really part of the main story of the you know moving the plot along until he turns up and and does whatever. But yeah. I think this. I mean, he's got his own little character arc, like you know, he learns to stand up for himself. Um, this is more. The Gremlins yeah, movie. That's, and that's, I think, what people want. Yeah. I mean, I think Steven Spielberg said when they did the first screening that there's there's too many Gremlins. There's too many. And for me, you know, I'm happy with more Gremlins because they're just great. And, like, there's a gag every minute, every second. There's just something they do that's so silly and so funny. And uh, I love it. Did you Do you find that the, there's maybe a little bit too much slapstick from the non-Gremlin characters? I don't think so. I don't think it bothered me. I think because the movie is so cartoonish and slapstick itself, it didn't bother me that the human characters were a bit more silly. Um, mm. No, I don't think that that bothered me at all. I, th- I think it probably just made me like it even more. Actually, the fact that it, it is a bit silly. Did it bother you? Because I, I've, I mean, I've watched Gremlins too. Yeah. No end of times. I couldn't count really. But I think watching it with a bit more of a an eye of making yeah. notes and things like that. Uh, for the purposes of the podcast, I suddenly th- I thought Billy's moved to New York. Yeah, why has he never been to see Gizmo? I don't know. I don't because he kn- he knows his dad's taking him back to Mister um, Mister Mr. is it Wing? I think it's Mister Wing. Uh, Mister Wing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess does he know where the shop is? I suppose he knows it's someplace in Chinatown because he says that in the first movie. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how long they've been in New York or anything like that. It's not really explained that much. I suppose that's not the, it's not the point, I suppose, is it? No, not really. And I mean, let's be perfectly honest. I don't think Billy's the star of either of the Gremlins movies as much as like I like Zach Galligan in these films. Like everybody wants to see this for Gizmo. Mm-hmm. Like so, you know, and that's why we sort of get Gizmo straight away right at the start. It's like, bam, he's there. Mm-hmm. He's had a little bit of a redesign, thanks to Rick Baker. 
I do like the original look of Gizmo, maybe a little bit more, because this version's quite cute and cartoonish, but I still think he looks great. I'm I'm really impressed with the puppets in this film. Mm. I'm hard-pressed to think about another puppet movie that's better than this. Mm-hmm. This is 1990s, and some of the stuff that they do in this is fantastic, especially, I can't for the life of me remember what it is, but they had some sort of um, technique that they did to make the mouths of the puppets move with the recorded speech. So when the brain gremlin starts doing his little speech, it's just, it, his lips move to the words. Like and it, it looks like it's coming out of his mouth and it's just, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what Rick Baker did in this is amazing. Um, they still look great now. And I mean, I watched this movie on Blu-ray and they look great. You know, I wouldn't have a problem with if they ever did do another gremlins movie, which I don't want them to. Um, you know, I'd want them to do puppets. Like, I'd hate to see it CGI because there's an art form in this. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's what makes these movies so special is because that somebody had to figure out how to do this and had to work, you know, 12 hour days trying to get like Gizmo to move from one side of the table to the other or something. Mm. Like, it's dedication. And I just think having that done as CGI is just a little bit, I don't want to say lazy because I know somebody has to sit there and render it, but it's just not, the heart's not there. Yeah. The fact that somebody had sculpted this and built this and made it move and gave it life, that's why they're so cool. Like, these puppets you, are so cool. You see, I've I've always wanted to see another Gremlins film because I've always wanted to see Gizmo turn into a Gremlin. Yeah, see, I've heard people say that, and I just, I don't know. I don't, do I? Because I think it would just be an interesting dynamic, I think, because... The gremlins aren't gremlins because they're gremlins. They all have their own personality. You know, it's not like they go from yeah. cute to being bad. They're bad being cute. They're bad as they are when they're, yeah. when they're cute or when they're mogwise or whatever. Yeah. But then obviously they become stronger and grimier and whatever. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to sort of, for me anyway, it'd be, I think it'd be interesting to see that dynamic if Gizmo eight after midnight and he you know because he's still going to be gizmo and he's not going to be yeah but i guess do do we love gizmo because he's this cute little furry lovable creature and then if we change him into a gremlin and there's no way for him to go back to be a mogwai again so now we've got this new sort of baby yoda looking type thing that's gizmo now and i don't know i feel like it's interesting to think about it but i don't know if i'd want to see it Fair fair enough yeah so what um what about the, the the sort of characters? Do you think um, they sort of st- stand up to to the original? Well, there's definitely more characters. The original was pretty streamlined. I mean, you just had basically Billy and Kate, and then the great Dick Miller and a few others. But in this one, you've obviously got Christopher Lee, who's fantastic, who plays Doctor Cafeta. Oh, splendid! This must be my malaria. Just rabies. Got rabies. I know. I never. Re- I didn't realize until this the first time I've watched this and realized his name was Doctor Cafeter. Yeah, he's Doctor Cafeter. <laughs> and uh, see, there's so many jokes and stuff that go on in that little lab that he works in, the Splice of Life. Yeah, and it's just just great. Um, and nice, nice little cameo so from he... Raymond Cruz. Oh, uh, da 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 da. Wasn't oh, that by us, thing? Yes. Yeah. And um, oh God, who's the ah? Oh, for the life of me, it's gone. Oh, um, the guy who plays the cleaner who gets Gizmo wet. I think he's the original Gomez. John Astin. Yeah, he's yes. the original Gomez, yeah. So yeah. that was kind of cool. And um, yes, yeah, so that was great. Um, and it's also got the twins 
from Terminator 2. Well, Lewis, it's like I've always said. If you want to find something weird, you have to go downtown. There are there are a lot of sort of eighties, nineties yeah. character actors yeah. in this. It's like a who's who of nineties, eighties, nineties people. I don't know her her real name, but the the woman who plays Marla, I really liked her. She was she was good. A bit crazy, fast talking, you know, we'll do anything to get to the top sort of thing. Um she was interesting. I was I was used to be obsessed with the moose, the, the Canadian, the Canadian moose when they go for dinner. Oh yeah, uh, it's like, how would you eat that? <laughs> but it does look tasty. Yeah, as well, it does. Yeah, time. Shea Winnipeg, I think it's called. Um, <laughs> how about some horns, sir? <laughs> yeah, it's oh, great. Dick Miller's great. I mean, I love Dick Miller uh, as Mister Fudderman, <laughs> uh, and the fact that. I love it when he uh, he turns up at Billy and Kate's apartment and you can hear the little gremlin and he's like, what's that? And he's so crazy. Yeah. And he's like, I heard it too, dear. He's like, of course you heard it. <laughs> oh, um, John Glover as Clamp. He's great. Yeah, he's... Oh, John Glover, yeah. Chin, chin for days. He's uh, he's clearly doing this, like, Trump guy. He's, he's awesome. I love him. Oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't tar him with that brush. Well, I think that's like the character he's supposed to be playing, like this sort of media mogul or, you know, millionaire spending money, buying up half of New York, you know, a bit of an idiot, that sort of thing. But mm. like, he's he's kind of lovable. He's not the villain. Hey, this is excellent. Also, Robert Picardo, who's been in uh, mm. another Joe Dante movie, Inner Space, as the cowboy. Um, and he was... He's, he was in that, the Howling as well. Yes, the Howling. Yeah, it's weird because like I'm always used to seeing Robert Picardo like at that certain age, mm. and maybe it's because he's got like either the balding hair or like a wig on or something like that. But in the Howling, he's he's quite young. Is he Eddie? I think. Yeah, he's got long hair. He's the sort of main guy, isn't he? Yeah, the main werewolf killer guy. Yeah, he's he looks like smacked out of his face and all that sort of stuff. But Robert Picardo is great in this. His scenes with uh, Greta, the Lady Gremlin, are. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how you end a movie. Reptile loving. <laughs> this is a complete failure of management. How did you, in your sort of research and that, how did this whole sort of Looney Tunes start and the beginning and that, that was it? Was it some kind of anniversary year for, for Looney Tunes or something? No, it was Chuck Jones, who's like the main animator, I think, of like Bugs Bunny and all that sort of Warner Brothers cartoon stuff. Him and Joe Dante are actually friends, uh, and he was actually in the first Gremlins. He's in the bar talking to Billy about his drawing that he's doing of Mrs. Deagle. Um, and Joe Dante asked him to do this this animation, this cartoon for Gremlins, specifically for Gremlins, because he wanted oh. to set up the tone. Okay. So when people would see this Looney Tunes cartoon that they would, all right, the movie's going to be silly like this. Um, and there was actually a longer cartoon, but it got cut. So it was just sort of that silly little intro, which I always loved as a kid, and I still love now, because I'm a big fan of Daffy Duck. So yeah, that's what that's where that came from. It sort of wanted to set up this um, anarchic tone, right. a silly tone for this silly movie, basically. And I think there's a bit of the end credits as well where Daffy turns up and he's like, are you still here? Yes. Or, and all this sort of stuff, which is kind of fun. So yeah, that's where that came from. I would also like to say that I'm a big fan of John Horror, I think it is. He's a cinematographer that works with Joe Dante uh, a few times. I think he's done, uh, he did Howling, uh, Matinee, 
I think he did the first Gremlins as well. Um, there's like a lot of shadow work in this film, a lot of Venetian blinds, lots of Gremlin shadows as they're like scurrying away. Obviously, the one I'm thinking of is the one where um, Mohawk drinks the the spider potion and you see the legs coming out of him. Mm. We don't actually see it. You just see the shadow. Uh, I just think that's great. And also the set design, I think, is really cool. I mean, this whole clamp tower, the building where nothing works, which is really fun. And uh, Gram- is it Gram- what's his name? Grandpa Fred, or is that character Fred, you know, from yeah. the monsters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say he's another sort of... Yeah, you know. this crazy character, especially when he's walking around the lobby and all these people are looking at him, but he's just dressed up like Dracula. <laughs> it's great. Um, he's really good at it. Him and his... Um, uh, the Japanese tourist, I don't know if it's Mr. Katsuji or whatever, but you know him, he's great. I need, I need a Polaroid. He's, he's so good. He's his cameraman. Work a camera. I am a camera. And, oh God, what's her, I don't know the actress's name, but she was another one who was in loads at that time who plays, um, Mar, is it Mar, oh God, what is it? Microwave, it, it, it's all, it's oh, a cooking show with... Yeah, microwave with Marge. Marge, she's just it. pissed up drinking <laughs> all that sherry. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's great. That that whole scene is really cool because it's like one of those sort of sequel things where we're gonna have a nod to the original. So like in the first movie, one of the gremlins gets killed by a microwave. So mm. now this time, the gremlins are gonna kill a microwave. It's kind of fun. It is pretty. I mean, it's pretty. There's some pretty horrific scenes in this. I remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I must have been what nineteen ninety so seven, probably eight or nine when I first watched this. And there's some I always remember. The bat gremlin freaked me out when I was a kid. Yeah, and the whole sort of gargoyle okay. thing was always, always creeped me out. Okay, but there's a lot. It's it's pretty gory as well, even compared to the first. I guess so. I think the the first movie is kind of a bit more of a straight horror film, mm. um, but obviously it has its silly parts. But I think this is more more silly. There's some scary bits. I mean, there's some serious stuff, but it's like um, Christopher Lee just gets gunned down in like an Uzi drive by by Mohawk. I <laughs> know oh, he doesn't know that's um, fucking hell. He gets electrocuted yes. by the electric gremlin, and then Mohawk turns up and starts wasting falls. Somebody gets shot though, don't they? By the. I don't think so. I know. I know. Billy gets no, fired maybe at. Maybe not. Because is it? No, it's the shoot. Is it the shoot? Doesn't the shoot in the gun? It blows up the the thing that makes the sort of Phantom of the Opera one or something. No, I think there's there's where no. one of the gremlins picks up the little vial of acid and it says "Do not throw him face" and he literally just throws it in his face <laughs> and then he gets the little Phantom of the Opera thing. <laughs> That's a whole great scene in that lab where they're all messing with the. You know the little potions and all that sort of stuff, especially the um, the vegetable gremlin, <laughs> and that's a really great special effect. Like the way its ears sort of like shrink in and start turning into to leaves, and they start sp- sprouting tomatoes from his scalp, and he just like this uncontrollable belching. That creature is eating my vegetable medley. <laughs> it's just great when the brain gremlin drinks that uh, brain hormone. And he goes into like a reverse Dr. Jekyll. So he goes from a monster into a really incredibly (laughs) smart person. And it's just that whole speech is just fantastic. I love that. Talk a little bit about what's going on in this room. Because I think there are some fascinating ramifications here for the future. I did also want to mention the score by Jerry Goldsmith, the great 
Goldsmith. Right? Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, he did the score for the first film. Uh, I think he's pretty much done most of Joe Dante's films as well. But yeah, I think his score for this film in particular is one of my favourite scores um, from Jerry Goldsmith, obviously aside from Alien. But I think this one is so fun and it's so much like the movie. It's so chaotic. Like it has obviously the New York, New York medley and then the little rambo bit for gizmo and then the gremlin rag and all that sort of stuff it's just it's just a really good score especially near the end when uh the gremlins get melted and it's just got this eerie this this eerie score and i just i just think it's it's so fun but so horrifying as well it's just it's a score that i listen to a lot it's just fantastic and the scene where uh gizmo finally Stands up for himself and mm. he John Rambo's spider gremlin <laughs> with a little bow and arrow. <laughs> I guess I guess they just pushed him too far. Um, yeah, the, the the score is great, and again with the like a little nod and a joke of the original. So when Phoebe Cates is talking about how <laughs> how her dad yeah. dressed up as Santa and broke his neck and died, and it's like, well, this is a bummer. Abling. And then she goes into. She, well, she starts to go into like how she was possibly, possibly molested as a child in the park. But Billy's like, we haven't got time for this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like this is so so disturbing and random. But no, whatever. We we ain't got time for this. We have to kill all these gremlins. I definitely, I definitely agree with you on the score. I think it's got it's got that the thing. It's it's something I like where they you know it's it's using the core sort of the theme, you know the the gremlins theme in it. But it changes it up for the different different moods of the of, of of the parts of the movie and stuff, and you know the even the you know the creepy bits are slower and more intense, and, and you know when it's ramped up for the chaos and all that sort of thing. Nobody really talks about Jerry Goldsmith that much, and I think they really should do because his scores are brilliant. And like I say, for this one, it's just amazing. Like he did all the little the little musical cues for the the movie Police, the Leonard Moulton movie review show and stuff like that um it's just it's just a brilliant score i, I love it i listen to it a lot because it's just fun and it always makes me think of gremlins and i just i love the score it's fantastic so anything else you want to sort of throw into into the mix i think all i've got to say really is like the reason i picked this movie is because like i said it was so different from the first movie it's a director doing something he, he could do whatever he wanted to do and that's great this movie just pokes fun at the first film it's very meta. It's you know, it's there's a bit lot of social commentary in it. It's it's referencing other movies, Joe Dante movies and movies that he likes, and it's he's doing his own thing. He's he's being Joe Dante and putting everything of himself into this film. Um, and I like that. I respect that. I'm, I like that he's done something different, and it is very different from the first movie. Like they could have easily just done another sort of straight up horror. The same thing happens again. Uh, you know, or what have you, but the fact that they went back to Joe Dante because he basically was the only guy that could do it right. And he was like, well, the only way to do it is to make fun of it. And, you know, the gremlins are chaos, so this movie should be chaos. And that's what it is. Yeah, I'm sorry if we have to sacrifice the plot a little bit or whatever. It's just, it's pure carnage. And I like that. Yeah, well, that's it. And I think if you, if you see it as as what it is and, and that's a conscious effort to do so, then it you know it works, doesn't it? It's not like they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. It's the point, I suppose. It's the whole point of the movie. Yeah, and I mean, 
it was a bit of a, a financial failure. I think the budget was around about either 40 to 50 million. And I think it only, I think it lost 10 million. Um, so it didn't do great. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why it is also considered underrated because it was a financial failure. And I think aside from the fact that they don't really know what to do with another Gremlins movie and the fact that it's been so long now, I don't know if they would do a Gremlins 3, they would probably just do a straight reboot. And I mean, I know they are doing a cartoon that's supposed to be coming out at some point. So I guess we'll just have to see what happens with that. That's, I think that's the, it's, the plan is to see how that goes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. But then, you know, I think it's been it's been very hit and miss with what we call recalls now. Yeah. Um so it could be interesting. I think it's if it's if it's done right, it could be good. Yeah, I mean, considered to other like IPs like Jurassic Park and Star Wars and things like that, like Gremlins is popular, but it's it's not super popular. So I think that's one of the reasons why they probably haven't decided to do another one because I don't know, there's not legions of fans wanting another one like there are with Star Wars or, you know, it's they're not going to build a theme park for Gremlins. And that's another reason why I like it is because maybe it hasn't got that huge, huge fan base. It has loyal fans and people that love it, like me, but I, I'm just one of these people that's very much less is more. Like, what more can you do? Like, I, Gremlins 2 did everything for me and I don't really need another one. So I'm I'm very happy with what we've got. So okay, and I love Joe Dante. That's all I have to say, really. So you know, and I'm sure I'll be talking about more of his movies because I think he's a very underrated director. He's brilliant. He's done a lot of good films. I know he's probably done some that weren't great, but you know they weren't awful. He's definitely made some really strong movies, and not a lot of people talk about him. And I think he deserves to be talked about a lot more because he's a good director. He's maybe what has he done recently? I don't. I can't think of anything. The box, not the box. Um, the hole. Did he do the hole? Yeah. I think that was the last film he's done. I know he's done some stuff. Uh, he did a like an anthology type movie. I can't remember what it was called, but he did one segment for that, and I think that was the last time he's directed. Oh. Um, but yeah, uh, like a lot of his movies, uh, Gremlins, Inner Space, uh, Explorers, The Burbs, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, he's done, he's done a lot of good movies. Um, Eerie Indiana, if you remember that TV show, mm-hmm. he directed a few episodes of that. He's he's a great director and. A lot of his movies are fun, and that's what I like about it. He doesn't take himself too seriously. A Joe Dante mm-hmm. movie is a Joe Dante movie. It's it's going to be a fun ride. It's it's nothing serious, and that's what I like. Okay, so should we move on to my selection? Yes, let's let's move let's, on. Let's do that. So this this was in my mind when I sort of came up with the um, the subject for us to discuss. Um, this was the film that really sort of... I mean, I can think of other examples, and I'll, I'll give them a bit later on. Um, but this was... I was pleased that you didn't pick this, because it's something really wanted... was was keen to discuss. And uh, so my pick for this week is Predator 2 from 1990. It landed in the world's most forbidding jungle. It came for the thrill of the hunt. Now, it's coming to a different kind of jungle. Ah! 
This time, it's open season on all of us. Danny Glover, Gary Busey, Ruben Blades, Maria Conchita Alonso, Bill Paxton. Predator 2, hunting season opens again this Christmas. Also 1990. Yes. Quite a lot of similarities, really. We've both got movies from the 90s and their creature features. Definitely. Um, Directed by uh, Stephen Hopkins, starring Danny Glover, Gary Busey, Kevin Peter Hall, Ruben Blades, (laughs) my terrible Mexican accent, Maria Conchita Alonso, and Bill Paxton, everybody's favourite. God rest his yes. soul. We love you, Bill. <laughs> so, in Predator 2, the Predator returns to Earth this time to stake claim on the war-torn streets of a dystopian Los Angeles in 1997. So, what what sort of drove me to, to, to pick Predator 2 was, you know, my interpretation was that it was definitely considered inferior um to the original predator 1987 um and i didn't actually quite yeah realize how inferior it is considered or it was at the time it's definitely definitely picked up a a kind of cult following um but this really this really sort of cemented it for me was just you know looking through the rotten tomato scores um so obviously the the sort of review scores um the original predator 1987 80% predators which was 2009 2010 2010 i think yeah 2010 65% the predator 33% predator 2 30% it is the lowest ranked <laughs> predator film by critic. That's not right. That's that's not according good. According to my research. So it really, really cemented how underrated this film is. Yeah. You know, when you look just at INDB scores, it's 6.3 um, out of 10, which, you know, puts it more in the sort of 65% bracket, really. Um, and I think that's just, it's just a massive... Um, a massive shame because I really think as a sequel, it's, it's it's really strong. I don't think I can't. So I'll give you some examples. So Roger Ebert said that it was it was unoriginal, uninteresting in terms of its special effects. Okay. Entertainment Weekly said it was a grimly incoherent incoherent pile of urban blowout cliches. And uh, <laughs> okay. Jay Scott from Globe. And male in Toronto said it was racist and violent, atrociously acted, and ham-handedly directed. I strongly disagree. <laughs> so I do. I mean, you know, it's Eber it, it said it was unoriginal. Yes, it's taking that basic concept of a predator coming to Earth um, and hunting for trophies. That's what they do. That's you know, if you're making a sequel, it's going to run along those lines. Yeah, or you'd expect it to. Um, but it, you know, it expands on the original idea. It adds, it almost adds a little bit more of an additional sort of motive to to the predator. You know, obviously in the first one, you're 
you're seeing it as just this it's just out in the jungle it's hunting this one it comes across a bit more of you know it's trying to get to to harrigan yeah it's a bit more it's calculating it's, yeah. it's toying with him really exactly um you know uninteresting special effects i don't see how you can say that i think you've got a lot of you've got this increased sort of expanded weaponry of the predator that's that's allowing for um something different you know in terms of things like the kills and everything else i think the there's a couple of places where the the invisible predator look is a little bit wobbly early on yeah but i will get that yeah i can't i don't i just don't get that yeah and i think um like my film my pick the special effect artist was rick baker and like if you were to say the special effect artist who worked on predator 2 i don't think you can say he's done a bad film like he 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 was the best special effect artist mm. in Hollywood for a long time. So, and I can't see anything of the practical effects in Predator Two where it's terrible. I think no. even now, Predator One and Predator Two still have the best design Predators and the best looking Predators. Yeah, in any of the films. Yeah, well, that's it. You can it's that you can see that Stan Winston mark of yeah. on this film for definite. I don't think I think you'd be hard pressed to find. Any Stan Winston effects or film that he was involved in that you could say are, is uninteresting, really. Well, he always he always said that he wasn't creating monsters; he was creating characters, yeah. and that's how he treated them. And I think that's one of the reasons why they always were so well acted and so well designed. He he put so much thought into it. Him and his team, like, yeah, I I don't agree with that. They're brilliant special effects, you know. And yeah, I suppose you know. Grim, incoherent pile of urban blowout cliches. Um, that's probably you could probably argue that a little bit in places, um, but I think you know it adapts as the story goes on, and you get you get things that are a little bit more different and fit the story and fit the plot as it moves along. Mm. Um, I think any any early nineties action film. You're gonna have cliches, I think. Oh god, yeah. And then you know, you can push yourself ten years later, and you're still gonna find those cliches. You can push yourself another ten years further, and you're still gonna find those cliches because that's what people are looking for in an action film. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Especially those eighties and nineties ones, those early nineties ones, just full of that stuff. And that's part of the fun, though, especially going back and watching them now. Yeah, and I mean, you know, <laughs> you know. The point of it being racist, you know, it's easy for me to say as a white man yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I don't think it's racist. Um, you know, I mean, even even uh, Roger Ebert said, um, there are subliminal clues to encourage us to subconsciously connect the menace with that of black males, which I don't necessarily sort of see no. you know and i'm talking you know purely from my standpoint as a, as yeah. a white man <laughs> but you know there is obviously points you've got a jamaican gang you've got a colombian gang and there are massive massive stereotypes in there yeah. um you know for one yeah. Jamaican voodoo posse and voodoo, they don't practice voodoo in Jamaica at all 
it's it's no. purely a Haitian <laughs> religion. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think if you look if you look at a little bit of history of gangs in in, in Los Angeles, um, there are different nationalities. None of that, none of those nationalities and major gangs in LA are Jamaican, and they're not really Colombian either. From what I can see in, in sort of research, I think yeah, yeah, the, the problem that it could have maybe not been quite so um, on the nose of having these all both of these gangs being you know foreign nationals or, or whatever. But I don't think you can sit and say that this movie's setting out to be racist yeah. or make you think. No, well, I mean, the protagonist is Danny Glover, a black guy, like, mm-hmm. and everyone in the police force is quite diverse. And I mean, I love that that one tracking shot that goes all the way through the police station. You see all the people working there, dealing with all the either criminals or people complaining, and it just keeps going until it goes on to Bill Paxton. Oh, they've, you know, they've, they've, there are some lovely shots in this. Lo- oh, God, gotcha, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not quite as. Uh, as up on the cinematography as, as as yourself, but I think this there's like one shot towards the end um, where the, 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 there's been the attack on the subway, yeah, on the train, um, and uh, Maria Conchita Alonso's character, um, I forget her name, completely popped out of my head, but she she obviously gets everyone away, goes back into the end um, thingy and finds uh, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry Lambert um, hanging up, but there's it's a beautiful one shot where she steps back out of the train, goes to move away, and the predator just is just there, and it's all yeah. done in it's all done in sort of a one shot, and it pulls out. Oh, it's just, but like you say, you know like that tracking shot all the way through the police station. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna say um, the subway scene. Um, I really like the shot when the predator is crawling on top of the train mm. and then you have the flashes, it goes dark and then we see it dark and we see it dark and we see it and it's moving along. I just think that's really ominous and it's really cool. Um, yeah, I, lo- I love that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, uh, I think that whole sequence is pretty, you know, it, it's, it just messes with your senses. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a bit of a head fog because it just you don't see everything that's going on. You've got the flashing, you've got darkness, mm. you've got the, the invisibility, you know, the cloaking device and, and everything else. It is just a very, very brutal sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, Stephen Hopkins, the director, I mean, he has his moments, I think, you know, if you look at his 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 career, you know, he's, he did he did Nightmare on Elm Street 5, which is probably... One of the worst, yeah. He's one of the worst, you know. Uh, a favorite of ours, uh, the ghost and the darkness, yeah. Lost in space, yeah. You know, he did some episodes of 24, it's not something that I was really a fan of, me neither, really. But you know, he does it, he does a good job on this. I think, with the obviously, with the big budget, I think he does, he does as well as he can do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can definitely tell like he's a competent director. He knows what he's doing. I think so. Uh, with some of the shots and the way he's telling things visually, I, I think it's a well-directed movie. Um, and like you say, the cinematography is great. Um, so yeah, I, I I think for someone of his caliber to take on a movie like this, um, and I know you've watched the and we both have uh, the making of Predator Two. Oh yes. <laughs> 
we've all been to that. <laughs> yeah, him him tackling this, I, I think I think he did a really good job. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for for this movie. I, I think it's well directed, be- beautifully shot. Um, he gets good performances out of the actors. I don't think you know you you couldn't ask for more, really. Yeah, well, definitely. I think you know it's there's again you know a, a smorgasbord of nineties sort of character actors in this. You've got you know Danny Glover, who I must admit. Um, I remember the first time I I I sort of watched Predator Two. You sort of think, well, is is he really a, an action hero? And, yeah. and maybe my so first sort of couple of viewings, or when especially when I was younger, you don't necessarily sort of think about about that. But as you watch it now, watching it with sort of older eyes, you see, you know, he's he's he's, he's streetwise. Hell, this is quite a surprise. What brings you down from the palace? He's he, he does command what he's he's doing. I almost sort of see him as he, he's almost a blend of Riggs and Murtar. Well, cooperation is my middle name. In into sort of one, you know, without the goofiness of of, of Riggs and yeah, um, he's got a very sort of. He's very commanding in this film, yeah. And he plays, he plays it well. He plays what, you know, what he's getting across. He's playing somebody who's just sort of pushed and prodded, and not just by obviously the predator, but you know, you've got Mister Mister Gary Busey. You got a big nose, and you're sticking it too far in my business. Now maybe you can hear this. The next time you cross me, you're gonna turn up missing. Yes. Talked about John Glover and having chin for days. Gary Busey's got teeth for days. Oh God, we love Gary Busey. Yeah, I mean, you know, just just look. I would, I would recommend to anybody pop onto YouTube because it's on there at the moment. Is the the making of Predator Two, um, which is a, it's a it's a bit of a mixture of um, old and new footage. You know, from that, mm. especially during the the nineties, they did these making ofs on the sets of of the big sort of blockbuster films. Um, but Gary Busey is a, just... He's a force to be reckoned with. A sight to behold. Force to yeah. be reckoned with, that's the, that's the one. Um, and you could start your own little drinking game for how many times he says um, other world life force. But anyway, these outer world life forces... Just within <laughs> the 30 minutes of the of that um, uh, that documentary. But while, while we're talking about that making of documentary... Obviously, you know, my first port of call for, for for researching this this podcast was to go through the reviews, as I said, um, and sort of picked up these little um, sort of nuggets of people saying that the film's uh, racist, and it just sort of tickled me a little bit that at one point in this documentary, Stan Winston's talking about um, the designs of the of the. The new predator and the new predators. Because obviously, by the end of the film, there's there's more than one, um, which they were played by, um, I believe, some of the LA Lakers basketball team. And Sam Winston at one point says there are subtle differences, but to the average person or the average public, they all look alike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my yeah. god, really? Oh yeah. <laughs> But you know, there we go. Yeah. It's just I just thought that that sort of tickled me a little bit. Thinking this, me thinking this is this film's not racist. Yeah, 
There's not a racist inch in the making of this film. And then uh, yeah. Stan Winston goes and drops that. But there we go. Mm. Um, well, I would I would say about that um, the making of. It's kind of interesting because it just goes to show, like, if when they're doing a making of featurette now, how polished it is and how clean it is. But back then, it was just sort of like they, you get to see everything, like Gary Busey's interactions with the other actors and mm. the filmmakers talking honestly about certain scenes and, and swearing. And, you know, we get to see little snippets like that just would not happen now. It would not go. So it's kind of nice to see that. It's kind of like how everyone is interacting with each other. It's just goes to show like what it must have been like on the set and how these actors were off screen and stuff like that. And and Stephen Hopkins getting death threats. Yeah. For embarrassing Ruben Blades. Yes. Well, he says Ruben Blades. And you have Ruben uh, Ruben Blades throughout this documentary. And when you watch yeah. the trailer, it's Ruben Blades. Ruben Blades. So yeah, Blades. Um. But yes, for interrupting, I think it was Good Morning America, Ruben Blades. Ruben Blades. <laughs> doing an interview and basically Stephen Hopkins told him to get the foot back to work. Yeah. <laughs> and then had to go on and apologise because he got death threats from the, the Latino community. And I go home, I wake up that night to do the next night shooting with like 100,000 messages in the answering machine because... I didn't realize I'd taken him off live. Off, um, he was being interviewed by Joan London from New York Live on Good Morning America, and uh, so I was in deadly trouble because I, you know, cursed on screen in front of many millions of people, and it looked like I treated Ruben badly, who was a sort of a Latino icon, and and you know I got death threats on the phone and all sorts of terrible things, and of course I didn't mean to do any of that. So we shot the next night, and then after shooting the next night, Ruben and I went to a studio in downtown LA and. Uh, and we were going to do something mischievous, like have a fight, but we didn't, and we just... And then I had to talk to a camera, and we got interviewed by Joan London from New York, and actually since then they've never done a live interview. And there was the story about them getting piss and shit thrown at them and stuff. And Yeah, it's it's mental, um, that, that alleyway scene, um, you know. But, you know, I mean, in, in terms of the film and, and how it sort of moves along, you know, it gets straight into the action. You know, there is yeah. a, a strong assumption that you've seen Predator, the original. So you do, it, but it gets in, you know, you get that. It sets the scene. Uh, you've got, you know, the heat wave, the gang wars. There is a little bit of sort of scene setting dialogue early on in those first sort of sequences that's a bit shaky. Um, it's there to sort of, you know, and unfortunately, most of it goes to Maria Conchita Alonso. She yeah. gets a lot of the, the the very shitty dialogue in the in the in especially in the beginning. They're trying to get inside the headquarters. We're keeping them pinned down, but those officers are bleeding to death. Fuck! They're dying, man. It's just sort of telling everybody what's going on without us being shown it. I guess really, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you've got like I said, you've got. You got Danny Glover there being, you know, he's not being wisecracking like Arnie. He's no. not dropping all the, the, the massive one-liners and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's, it's a little bit. It's almost a bit more believable, I mm. suppose. Um, and then of course you've got the incomparable Bill Paxton. Yeah, 
It's just lights up everything that he's in, basically. So I go in for my physical, right? And the doctor says, I need a semen, stool, and urine sample. I say, gee, doc, I'm in a big hurry. Can I just leave my underwear? You know, this is where he, he cements his, his legacy as being the first to be killed by a Terminator, yeah. alien, and a predator, mm. supposedly. You don't really get clarification in the Terminator, but we'll give him that before uh, Lance Hendrickson stole a bit of his thunder. But yeah, I think you know, there's definitely a little bit of shakiness in those in some of those early scenes. Um, uh, you know, there's, there was a couple of people in this film that I just thought were a little bit superfluous, really. You got like Robert Robert Darvey, Davy, Robert Davy. Um, who plays the captain. But then you've also got another captain, which is very strange. Um, Kent McCord, who plays Captain Pilgrim, um, who's probably the most pointy captain in the world. He's very, you you know, you're doing this. You do you shouldn't do this. And he's pointing his finger quite a lot, which is a little bit distracting and very wooden. But, yeah, um, it just seems to have, uh, characters for characters' sake in some places. It could have been maybe trimmed down a little bit. But, you know, it moves It moves very swiftly. You know, there's not really... There's not really an ounce of fat in terms of the action, you know. It, it is pretty fast-paced, and it moves from, like, one action set piece to another, um, which I really like. So there was never a, mo- a moment when you're watching Predator 2 when you're bored. Or you feel like, oh, it's, it's dragging a bit now. It, it, no. it is pretty fast-paced, and I like that. And I also, I really like the start, because it, re- it reminds me of um, Alien 3 a little bit, you know, when the 20th Century Fox logo starts, and it does the, the normal, and then it drowns out, and you start hearing this like weird, otherworldly, and it's like, this movie's going to be different. And then Predator 2 starts like that, and it's it's just that horrible scream that starts. And then you see mm-hmm. the jungle, and you're like, "Oh, the jungle!" And then it's boom, city, Predator Two. I just think that's a, re- a really, a really cool start. I really like that. And then you're getting straight into heat vision as well. It's, it's, it's really- yeah. I mean, you got you know, it's it's consistent throughout. I think in terms of sweatiness. Yes. Yeah. You know, you're really depicting a heat wave. You know, I think it could be something that's that could get overlooked in in the odd scene here and there, but everybody is suitably sweaty. Yeah throughout the film which you know really you know it follows on that that it has that consistency from but then you know we get into some movie magic we start to to meet some of these these gangs uh starting with or a scene that starts with probably the gruntiest sex scene ever um heard from miles yeah. away I love that shot too, by the way. I don't know what it's called, but I, I, I should should have researched that. But it's just sort of zooming in and then zooming in like, and yeah. zooming in until we see them. Yeah, it's just it's great it's that. Fantastic. Um and we get our first introduction to the Jamaican voodoo posse. Yeah. And the fucking voodoo magic man. Voodoo magic. Fucking voodoo magic man. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, you know, and I think, you know, it doesn't it doesn't um, shy away from that, you know. The, these guys, this this gang, this Jamaican gang, they they're using it as a terror tactic, you know. And they say that in the yeah. in the film, it's not like they're just portraying them to be 
some crazy voodoo gang mind mindless killers or anything like that yeah they they they, they have a purpose yeah you know it's done and you know and it makes sense it makes sense if these 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 guys are, are killers that the predator is going to go after them you know you know those that action sequence very inventive you get a look at new weapons a look at the predator you know the updated sort of armor and all that sort of thing and again you know i mean i don't know what it is about it again if it's a particular kind of shot if it's got a name for it but it's that the bit where he says shit happens and i don't know it's just sort of weird, really weirdly sort of shot like the background doesn't really fit in with it and he it's the close-up of his face as he turns that extreme close-up and like the background's all blurred out yeah that's that's a good shot and also like um i think where your movie is a lot better than mine is because uh gremlins are sort of like a bit of a diehard situation like pretty much the majority of it is in one location Mm. in that clamp tower but um predator 2 you have all these different locations so you have like uh the police station um the scene at the start uh, on the street, the alleyway, uh, the predator ship, the the meat factory, uh, and this mm-hmm. um, apartment block that you're talking about, I think all goes down to how well the production design is this, in this movie is because all these locations are really well designed. They're really interesting, especially this um, this ally Aztec themed apartment. Like it's just, it mm-hmm. feels really alien, and I and I like that. It's 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 really different, and I like that all these locations are so different. It's it's really nice. Yeah. Definitely, I think it's it, it's it is a well-made film all yeah. round. You know, from from that set design to special effects to even the um, the costume design. Really, you sort of look at that. You know, it, it, it's it's rich. It's very rich and vibrant um, in terms of the costumes and stuff. But I would like to get onto as relatively quickly into into my. The, the crowning glory of this film really is the I want to say formidable, but he's not really Mr. King Willie. Yes. Now, the one thing I could say that this film would have benefited from more is more a King Willie. Lizzie, you are top to me. Lizzie, you offering me favors. Tell me why, Babylon, Mr. Policeman. More of Calvin Lockhart, and I think just a couple yeah. of little scenes sort of peppered in somewhere of of King Willie, because I think it's just he plays it so creepy, and um, he has some you know some very sort of interesting dialogue, and I think for him to have that scene, you know, he's built up as this uh, this. This massive sort of figure in the in the sort of drug underworld yeah. in in LA, um, and the only sort of as cool as it is, he is conducting his business in an alley full of shit. Yes, <laughs> um, and he's not protected at all. Like the guys drive away, and he's just stood there in this filthy alleyway. Um, but it's such a cool scene. That scene, like just the. The confrontation between the two, like the dialogue, is really interesting. It's really, I just King Willie as a character is really cool, and I just love that he's not really paying attention to Harrigan. He's just throwing his bones on that 
oil drum <laughs> and it's like his costume's really cool as well he's got like this metal breastplate of like africa and he's got like mm-hmm. the long dreads and the scars on his face like i definitely would agree that i would love to have seen like just have one more scene of him or something before you know the yeah. the inevitable happens he's great definitely definitely because you do get this sort of it's almost like a build up into it and nothing yeah. it's of of him, you know, he's he's drawing his his sword or his knife or whatever, um, and preparing to fight, and you're always like, yes, this is going to be a, a bit of a battle kind of thing, and then it's just bang, cut to him screaming and yeah, carrying the head down the down the alleyway, and that's it, you know, you two, you two biggest gangs and gang leaders and stuff are are, are gone, you know, they're out of the picture, and it's it's onto the focus of of a showdown with Harrigan. Yeah, I do love that transition though when he faces off against the Predator and then it's just instant cut to... <laughs> Screaming head. <laughs> beheaded. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I also really like... Um, I forget the guy's real name, but um, the guy who plays Tony Pope, the... Um, oh, Morton Downey Jr. Yes, him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like the little... the peppering of uh, news broadcasts throughout the movie. It kind of reminded me like a little bit of Robocop type thing. Like, yes, you know, very, very... Verhoeven. This is Tony Pope, live from L.A. Cynthia Fear. Where the psycho vigilante killer continues his daily diet for murder. Bodies strung out, bodies with the skins ripped off, the hearts torn from the cadavers. And just recently, King Willie, the drug lord, the vicious drug lord found in an alley just around the corner with his head cut off and his spinal column torn from the body, a fitting demise to the Prince of Powder. It's it's predicting the future massively, really, isn't it? You know, this that's the sort of guerrilla sort of news that we're Amer- that you see coming out of America quite yeah. a lot, especially especially these days, especially sort of um, post Trump, yeah. I suppose. But yeah, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of little. I mean, to me as well, you got to give credit to Kevin Peter Hall. He's never been, I think, up until um, probably Prey. I yeah. know we've, we've had different differing, um, opinions yeah. of Prey, but that's probably the closest. Because I think they went from Predator 2, then, you know, your Alien versus Predators, and I think through that, that, through that sort of noughties to 2010, they were played by sort of bulkier yeah. guys and it just didn't fit right to that sort of sleekness of the of the predator or predators um but kevin peter hall i think he's he's not he's not being bettered as 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 that role i think you can you can see that sort of coming through uh, even more in this one than the, the than the first one you know he's obviously got a lot more comfortable and used to to what he uh, what he can do, and uh, you know, yeah, and they they certainly say it in the the making of documentary. Like he knows his character really well, and the predator, he's not fast moving. He's sort of quite still. He's patient. He's he's observing. You know, he's always lurking in the background. And he does these like little subtle things, like when he's in the meat factory and he's he's going through his um, his vision because he knows there's something mm-hmm. wrong and like just the way he moves and the way then he suddenly realizes that shit somebody's in here and it's like it's this just the way he moves his body it's just i, I love that sort of stuff like he's 
he's giving that character life. And like you say, those later on Predator movies, like they were played by big burly guys that were just sort of running and throwing themselves around. And I just, I don't feel like they, they were treating the Predator as a character. It was just literally a monster in the dark sort of, you know, it was, mm. he, he actually. Much more one dimensional. Yeah. Like, um, and I don't well, think. That's it. Cause of course you get this, you get this point then obviously where, um, uh, you get the, the, Harrigan gets sort of one one up on him hmm. um, in the in the in the slaughterhouse. Uh, gets you know Gary Busey, Peter Keys steps in and gets the most baffling death in the whole of the the film. He's I'm quite sure what happens to his top half. Yeah, I don't. I never got that. Even when I was a kid, I was always like, "What? What's the deal with that?" <laughs> it still makes no sense. No, at but, all. oh well. Um, okay. Out of here, arrogant. I'm gonna save your ass. It's between me and him. But it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know you, you can t- and then it's it, it's on the run basically. It's not mm. you know it's it knows that Harrigan Harrigan's got one up on it, and it's it's, it's effectively hightailing it back to its ship. Yeah. But Harrigan is you know the the little subtle things in this movie. To be fair, it wasn't something I. Really picked up on before, and it's, this sort of last what because it's not really. It's quite reasonably subtle. Is that obviously Danny uh, Danny Glover's character Harrigan is is scared of heights and yeah, it's it's sort of there but not very. It's not sort of you know it's not like he's going oh god I'm scared of heights kind of thing. Get, it, I noticed it a lot more on this last sort of rewatching, and, and you get that you know. It's why you sort of slow, slow at going. Not that you wouldn't be slow sliding down a fucking drain pipe that's half yeah. hanging off and stuff like that. But you know, you get this in that last act of that third act. You know, into the third act, you have this complete reversal of it's now Harrigan chasing the predator, and you know it is all about yeah. revenge. It's all about you know doing right by his team and all that sort of thing. And it again, yeah. Kevin Peter Hall. Even though you know, well, Kevin Peter Hall and Stan Winston's team as well, you know, it, that's portrayed quite well, I think, in 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 the design of the Predator and the the movements and and how it's sort of acting because it is just on the run. And um, to go back to the point about Harrigan being scared of heights, like it's kind of nice that they did a little thing like that because when you think about the first movie, like compared to Arnold Schwarzenegger, like there was no, he only really had a fear of this Predator, but he's he wasn't really scared. He was determined to kill it no matter what. It kind of makes Harrigan a bit more human, like that he's got this vulnerability, this like fear of heights. Like Bro- Chief Brody's scared of water, even though he's still going to go out there to kill the shark. Like Harrigan's scared of heights, and we learn that right at the start of the movie, and it's brought up, you know, a couple of times. But even though he's scared of heights, he's still going to tackle this this obstacle to get the predator. And like, you know, it, it adds something to his character, and it's just like a little thing like that doesn't seem much, but it's, you know, it's something, that, you know. It expands that character. It makes them a little bit more interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's like I say, it's very subtle. Hmm. I think, um, but you know, even Ar- even Arnie didn't. Arnie's pretty much beaten by the predator. Yeah, you know, he, it's that look of it standing under the log at the end. Yeah, you know, and Harrigan gets. I think it's sort of. It's not really there in the film, but I think the idea is that this predator is a young predator trying to 
prove himself. And obviously when we get to, um, I think really, what really sort of lifts this film up as a, as a good sequel is that, you know, it's not a, it's not an ending of he just kills it. You've got, you've got this expansion of the mythology. You've got, yeah. um, it creates a lot of interest, you know. Mm. It's not just, you know, they're not just barbaric aliens that are killing people. They're there. He's there to prove himself as a as a warrior, and these yeah. these other elder predators can see Danny Glover is is a worthy opponent. Yeah, and you know, and and let him live. And like that's what a sequel, I suppose, has got to do. Like instead of just rehashing the same thing, like we have to have a bit of what we already know. So we have the predator it's now in a new location we have a bunch of new characters that are gonna have a confrontation with the predator we're gonna learn some of the things we already know but then it's given us more information a bit more backstory so we've got new weapons we've got like an idea right at the end of the movie that these things have been here for a long time and that they've been coming here and they they have this honor system like you know you killed one of ours but we respect you we see you as a, a worthy opponent um mm-hmm. so there is a respect there and you know it's just things like that 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 build on the mythology have, have an antique yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like yeah that's it i always sort of wonder what did he do after that <laughs> did he do you think he just sort of kept that or did some research into it i mean obviously it is something that that comes up in the in the latest yeah. film and you know there wasn't another direct mm. sequel until predators yeah. which did this whole plucking people up and dropping mm. them and their thing that we did, which just didn't work for me mm. anyway. Had, had some um, good ideas, but I just, you know, I didn't gel mm. with it as much as I wanted to. And the Predator, which was just baffling. Um, yeah. That deserves a whole episode in itself to talk about that. He, he, exactly. But then I wouldn't think we're, again, you know, we're differing on our opinions of Prey. Yeah. But to me, you know, even you know when I first saw Predator Two, you you'd not had any of the other sequels at that point. You'd not had any of the Alien versus Predators or anything like that. To me, that was always the logical next step. Is you know we've seen that they've they've been here before yeah. and they've been here in the past. So why wouldn't you show us that? See some of that? Yeah, why, yeah, yeah. And I I think that's a good idea for them to go forward to do more Predator movies, to do something in that vein of, all right, so this one's going to be set in Vietnam or we're going to do one in World War Two. So, you know, the Americans and then the Germans are going to try and work together to tackle this alien foe or something like that, I guess. Um, but I think alien, um, Predator is a bit like Alien in the fact that when you it boils down to it, it's going to be the same movie, really. It's just going to be people versus an alien monster and... If you're fine with that, then there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think you just have to make an interesting story instead of uh, don't rehash the same stuff all the time. Just make something a little bit different. And I'm sure we'll get into Prey at some point in an episode or something like that. But I just want to make sure that everyone knows that I didn't hate Prey. I just I wanted to like it. A, I wanted to like it a little bit more, but I, I didn't. Before you get some hate, yeah. Sorry. But you know, and then you get you yeah. get cool little bits, you know, like the the trophy room and stuff that, that, yeah. that shows you that you know they're not just coming here and picking us off. You know, they they're going to different things. You have got the little alien head there that um, yeah, the school, alien school. Sorry that uh, you know sent all the rumors flying until we got the the the, 
the debacle that was Alien versus Predator. Um, I say that, but I've watched it now in the times. It's still got some redeeming qualities to it. God bless yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it, but, it's interesting in its own way. You know, to I think it does the right things that you want a sequel to do. Mm, I agree. For me, I think you know it does it expands on that mythology, gives you a different setting, gives you more people to kill, which you want to see. It it gives you more inventive ways to kill them, and just a, a little shout out. Well, I'm mentioning that of the the net, the wire net. Yeah, yeah. Such a cool little gimmick for the for this yeah. film, um, and it sort of comes up in obviously subsequent stories, but. You know, it just it 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 does what you want. It 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 changes things up a little uh, enough, gets you invested. Lots of action, lots of gore, lots of violence. And the thing is, as well, even if we had great great weapons, great cinematography, um, you know, a cool design for the Predator, and great action scenes, like if we didn't have good characters, then it would be boring um, or a good story. But I feel like there's a good story here. And Ooh. I like the characters. Like Danny Glover's great in this. Bill Paxton's great. Um, they're interesting characters that I want to know more about. So that's that's the glue that holds this film together. So I, I, th- I think it did a good job of expanding um, the lore and being a good sequel. It had it had good actors, good well, characters. It sets up it. that you know the way in the way that the first Predator, you know, it sets up that you you know these guys all know each other and you know they worked as a team and everything else and you you get that you get that similar vibe with obviously uh, Harrigan and his team and and you know yeah. Jerry coming in and you know he's he, he is accepted and he cares they care about him and yeah. and everything else so it's you know it's not it's by no means a sort of one dimensional yeah action film i think it it it, it sets everything going really nicely yeah the 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 people aren't red shirts just to be killed um for mindless entertainment like there actually are decent characters in this and some of the dialogue's great i mean we didn't get in the original film uh one of my favorite pieces of dialogue which is which means you're cutting off my dick and shoving it up my ass god damn it mike (laughs) or the lions the tigers oh my (laughs) oh my <laughs> a fucking alien. <laughs> a fucking alien. <laughs> yes, we we maybe not talked enough actually about Gary Busey, but uh, yeah, we could talk like, today. I don't think. Fair. I mean, I haven't looked, but his motorcycle crash was in 1988, so they would have been filming this in 89. So I imagine this might have been the first film, or close to the first film that after the crash. Yeah, I think yeah. They, I think they do mention that because. They'd say he was telling everybody about his um, yeah. near-death experience. and December 4th, 1988, 1.15 in the afternoon, I hit the concrete going 45 knots. And I had some out-of-body experiences, and I went to the other side. So there's a real curious element in what is out of this world. And we're just merely a speck in the whole thing. And somebody says something about Maria Cantillo Alonso's. She likes something. I can't remember what it is. Onions, like she she loves onions. Onions. Yeah. Oh, she loves her onions. Yeah. Yeah. It it is, it is probably it's a thirty about a thirty five minute documentary on on YouTube. It is worth a watch. And there's a good fifty ten fifteen minutes of Gary Busey just talking bollocks. Yeah, and it's great. 
and being really, I can imagine him being really annoying on set as well. Yeah, he, he must have been pretty, pretty great in. You get in the movies and what happens? You get some sunglasses that cost $5,000. You lose them in the chopper, they take them away, you never see them again. They say it's a new ticket ride, but it's not. It's a Fox ticket ride, and I'm having a ball. <laughs> but there we go. Yeah, and I'll just say that that whole action set piece in the um, the slaughterhouse is really cool. Like, I love how they go from the red light of that trailer into the fact into the warehouse, mm. and it's all blue light, and it's just it's just really cool. I, I like that. It's a really nice style. It looks good. Okay, so there we go. I think um, definitely, I think two choices that are, are very sort of close to our hearts really i suppose you know yeah i, think, that, I would I think agree definitely. it would be hard for me to sort of say you know to sort of shit on anything really in terms of gremlins 2 it's something i've watched multiple times same with predator 2 um yeah. they're very much of a time i suppose you know the, the, yeah. that sort of obviously came out in the in in the same year I think even something like Robocop 2, I think was 1990 as well. I think yeah. you've got a lot of, a lot of sort of sequel fever, really early nineties, late eighties with, with some of the blockbusters and that. And, um, I think these are, these are two really good examples of doing it right, but in different ways. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that both of ours were released in 1990. They've both had two in the title and both of them had, amazing special effects artists work on the film so like mine was rick baker yours was stan winston so it's it's kind of like a nice thing that joins them together i kind of feel like i know mine my pick maybe got better reviews than predator 2 but i don't think predator 2 deserved those bad reviews it's definitely not as bad as they were making out and it's it's definitely an underrated sequel Mm. um and i would have i would have picked it myself but I'm a Joe Dante Gremlins man, and it was the one that just <laughs> came to me straight away, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to talk about that." So, what, 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 what other ones did you did you maybe sort of consider for for picking? Well, um, weirdly, you said RoboCop two. Uh, that did cross my mind because that also has a special place in my heart. I I loved that as a kid. Um, it's it's an interesting sequel. I also thought about Poltergeist two as well because that's one I really mm, like. Good call. Good call. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a few. I had a few sort of rather and interestingly, apart from what I mean, one I did consider was because it gets a lot of hate, and I like it. There's problems with it. Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's as bad as people make out. As a potential discussion for a, a, another episode, mm. Exorcist Three. Yes. Well, perhaps not. Maybe underrated because i think it's got decent reviews when it was released yeah. reasonably decent but it's definitely a lot better than people would would probably yeah. have you believe uh die hard with a vengeance yes i mean come on that's for me that's pretty close to on par with the first one it's a great great sequel yeah that, that is something i would probably argue is it, it, it maybe even a touch better yeah. but that's maybe for another yeah podcast. no um and Bill, Bill and Ted's bogus yes, journey. Yes, that's another instance of a sequel doing something totally bizarre and wacky and it working for me. It's great. But, you know, you know there's a there's there's a lot out there. There's a lot that I think are um, considered inferior just because they're sequels. Yeah. Which is a bit, you know, 
a bit unfair at times. Yeah, I, w- I would have said um, The Lost World because um, that's another one that's mm. kind of close to my heart because I watched that a lot when I was a kid and it's not perfect but I don't think it's as bad as uh, people made out at the time and I mean compared to some of the Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World movies we've got now it's it's the second best movie in my opinion <laughs> out of the series <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely wouldn't argue with that. Um, so that wraps up our discussion on those. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Um, I enjoy talking about my pick and yours as well because they're both movies I love. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I hope if anybody listened that they enjoyed us rambling about them. So, so it leads us to, or leads you, should I say, to uh, tell us. What um, are we going to be discussing on episode two? Okay, so um, my pick for the next episode is best Stephen King movie that has Stephen King in it. So it has to be a film that is based on a novel by Stephen King or uh, was written by Stephen King, a screenplay sleepwalkers for example um but he has to have a cameo in the film so that kind of narrows it down a little bit so there's going to be no shawshank no green mile no the mist um so it has to be a stephen king movie with stephen king in it okay how do you feel about that i think that's one i'm gonna have to have a look at and see which ones he was actually in um there's nothing that necessarily springs to mind apart from one but i didn't think that was overly great so probably won't pick that um but yeah i think this that's gonna have to um i'm gonna have to have a look on on the old imdb and uh and see yeah it's um there's not many but there's there's a few to pick from i think there's there's gold in them, their hills. <laughs> <laughs> Not much, but um, yeah. And no doubt we'll end up probably picking the same movie, but um, that's not how this podcast works. So because it is my turn to pick the theme, uh, that means that Pete gets first pick and Ooh, yeah. I have, I get, I get the second pick. <laughs> so if he picks the same thing as me, then I'm in trouble. I've got to, I've got to look for something else. So it's really going to make me think, but I think it's something interesting. It's something different. Mm. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what you pick. Well, it's really, it's really sort of narrowing it down to a genre now. Into you know, it's, it's something a little less, yeah, wide open as well. So mm. it should sort of lead to some similar discussion as well. But yeah, that's that is my pick, and that will be the next episode of uh, the Movie Jewel Podcast. So why don't you tell the good, the good people um, about how they can interact with us? Yes, uh, I shall. Um, so this is quite a new podcast, um, but we have a social media. We have a Facebook page. Um, so if anybody of you out there that has listened to this and enjoyed it or hated it and want to give us a suggestion or anything like that, just get in contact with us, then you can do that on our Facebook page, um, the Movie Jewel Podcast. There will be a link in the description. Um, so if you just click that link or cut and paste it, go straight there and um, yeah, just get in contact with us. And we want to have conversations with people about movies um, because it's what we love. 
So yeah, we want to open it up to everybody. If you feel like you have a good suggestion for us for an episode, then let us have it. Uh, we'll discuss it. Not a problem. So yeah, you can hit us up on the social medias, uh, as they say. So yeah, that's that. Okay, so once again, I just want to say thank you very much for any of you that listened to the whole podcast, uh, and we really appreciate it. Um, So yeah, thank you very much. We've had a really good time talking about movies. So it just leaves me to say goodbye from me, and... Get to the chopper! Bye, everybody.